you have a Bible on your phone, if you have one physically in your hand, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 17? This is a passage we've been looking at for the past few weeks. And I want to do something weird, a little different today. Would you read this out loud with me, please? It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now this is a super, super, super simple verse that you could tweet out and still have characters left over. But it is an absolutely incredible verse. Act full of so much stuff, and you could literally go phrase by phrase and word by word, which is exactly what we've been doing over the past few weeks. And we started a couple weeks being reminded that this is part of an invitation. And the most important word in here is the word anyone. So look at that again. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and this word means everyone. If there's a word that was like the most important word in all the scriptures, a word that was the most important word in all of the Bible, it would probably be this word, anyone. Because when we look at this word, this is literally the word that you get to the very heart of who God is. This word, anyone, is literally from beginning to end at the center of the story. And it finds like this high point in the life of Jesus. It's why one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever or whosoever or anyone believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now there are three things that are just absolutely incredibly clear from a verse like this. Number one, that God loves this world. And the word here could actually be the word creation. It means everything that we touch, see, taste, feel. God loves all of that. And then, and then he starts to kind of narrow it down, and he says anyone, literally anyone who believes can have eternal life. And again, there's some depth here. There's some meaning here because this isn't just a word about time. Eternal life isn't just simply about just time and an expanse of time. It means so much more than that. It represents wholeness and almost another reality. It, it, means, it means something bigger that's going on. It's life that's full and overflowing. Now listen, the only way that the idea of full an overflowing life would not be appealing to you is that maybe if you live in a box. Because you're a normal person. It's kind of hard to experience full and whole life. This world's a sort of partial life. This world seems to at times want to take more life than it gives to us. But there are pictures that we see of what's said here. This idea of whole, full life that we can have. We see it, just glimpses of it in certain places. We see it in that little smile that a baby gives. And the little sound that they make when they look up at you. In that moment, you say, oh, that's, there's something deeper there. There's some kind of meaning there. There's some fullness there. 
You see it if you're out traveling somewhere and you look at a sunset as it's setting across the ocean. And you look and you see there, okay, there's some fullness there. Okay, I feel something, something there. You see this wholeness, this fullness of life when you get a hug from a true friend. There's something meaningful here, something bigger going on. He says, what if you can imagine, if you can imagine life where all of life was like those moments, where all of your mind and felt here, this, this is what I'm trying to give you, that. And that's the promise that we have in this passage that we read at the very beginning of Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, the old has gone, the new is here. And last week we talked about this phrase, in Christ. And we said that God values you so much. He values you so much that he actually wants to dwell. He wants to make his life within your life. But another phrase that should probably get our attention here is this. The new creation. It's what I want us to focus on today. And so what I want us to do is I want us to back up literally to the very beginning all the way to the book Genesis. Now in the book of Genesis there's huge conversations that are going on all the time about what is this book, what does the beginning of this thing even mean. And there are people who take the very first chapter of Genesis very literally and if that's you that's okay. There are people who take it very metaphorically, and that's fine, as long as we don't miss the point of what it's about. So let me illustrate what we're trying to understand. What, what's the point of the beginning of Genesis? Let me, let me illustrate it to you. Listen to this uh, scientific definition of something. It says, as a ray of white sunlight travels through the atmosphere to an observer, some of the colors are scattered out of the beam by air molecules. Final color of the beam the viewer sees. Because the shorter wavelength components, such as blue and green, scatter more strongly, these colors are preferentially removed from... I could read that to you, or I could show you this picture. Now you get a little bit of an idea of what Genesis is about. Somebody is explaining the creator of the universe. Somebody who wasn't there and didn't have pictures, that didn't have a way to write it down, and, 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 and wasn't there to actually say this is exactly what happened. In awe and in inspiration, they're writing down God's love overflowing into this creation. And so in very poetic language, these are the words that he uses to describe it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters, separate water from waters. God made the vault and separate the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. It was so. And God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on that land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the sky to separate the the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let let them be in the lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, greater light to govern and the lesser light to govern the night. God made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to on the earth to govern the day and the night to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water and the seas. Let the increase on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock, the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the, gra- the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea, the birds and the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds and the sky, all the creatures on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the Spirit, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Seven days, or moments, or ages, creation. Now, with that picture in mind, I want to go back to the book of John where we find that verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, a lot of scholars look at this book of John, which is one of the four we find in the Bible in the New Testament about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written in a very biographical way, almost a normal way. You can sort of read it, and it just tells the story in a very normal way of telling a story, very narrative. John is a little weird. John is picture, John is poem, John has meaning and subtlety that we see. And there are these scholars that look at John and they say there are parallels going on between how John wrote his book in the beginning of Genesis. And I want to point us to one way that we say that, see that happening today. So if we pull back from the story of John, you know, I want you to follow me. This is, a, this is, this is really fascinating uh, when we begin to pull this back here. 
we pull back from John a little bit, we see what's called signs. There are these moments, there's sort of a framework for how John writes the story of Jesus. And he uses these moments, these signs. We would probably call them miracles. But he calls them signs, and he points them along at different moments. Now, in John chapter 2, first one, he talks about turning water into wine. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Save the best till now. And then listen to what he says. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now check this out. This is fascinating. Tim, pop this list up here. So in John 2, we have this first sign where he turns water into wine. And then he says, and this is the sign that he's revealed his glory, that people would believe in him. And then we get another one in John 4. He heals an official son. And he says, and this is the second sign. And he heals uh, at the pool. And then he feeds the thousand. And then he stops using the phrase, this is the sign. He just starts putting them there. So we start going along. We start going, okay, so this is another sign. And this is another sign. Then he gets walking on water. And then he heals a blind man. And then in John 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, we don't see the subtlety. But if you are a Jewish reader of this, this is like a flashing neon light at you. There is something deeper going on. And it's like, here's sign one. Here's sign two. Here's sign three. And you're going, wait a minute. Here's sign four. Here's sign five. Here's sign six. And you get, here is sign seven. And all of a sudden, it's like nudge, nudge, kick, we're at sign seven. Something is going on. Something is happening. And it's like, what, what is going on here? And here's the thing. Remember, this is painful. The word seven has meaning here. Somebody reading this, somebody seeing this would go, oh, seven signs? Oh, seven. Seven days of creation. We talked about the word seven. There was a connection. There was completeness to the seven days. There was something going on at creation. There were these seven things going on. So you're going, oh. So here's the signs. This is like the first week of creation. And then something happens. Something happens that changes everything. Jesus gives us an eighth sign. Jesus is resurrected in chapter 20. And the big neon sign that's blinking for everybody to see is look, the work of creation is done. Something new is happening. Something new is just taking place. And we're all sort of like, wow, that's really, okay? But imagine for a moment, this, 
They hear these seven signs, these seven days, and they go, oh, it's the eighth day. He's just pointing out there is a new creation. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus didn't just die and is resurrected. Jesus died and resurrected and something brand new is taking place. The first seven days are done. This is now the eighth day. And here's the big part. You are a part of that. Listen to what he says again. Now let's back up a second, okay? Back to our 2 Corinthians passage. We're backing up to verse 14. For Christ loved us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should never live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. That's a weird verse. You're kind of like, I don't understand that. Let's just kind of toss that one out. If we were reading it, we'd normally just skip something like that. But what he's saying is, we looked at Jesus, Jesus as Jesus. Like, I, like somebody might have said, well, I was like there. I, was, I, was, I saw him do these things. I was physically there. I saw who he was. And then he says, no, 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 no. He is resurrected now. We see him in a whole. Everything has changed. Not just Jesus, but this whole thing has changed. He said, we don't see anything with a worldly point of view anymore. We don't see everything the way that it was, the way that creation was. He said, we see things in a way that we could have never imagined before. Everything has changed. And then he goes on, he says, therefore, because of all of this, if anyone, everyone, if any single one of you is in Christ. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So being made brand new, this isn't something you do. It's what's been done for you. Christ's death and his resurrection have given you life. I want to put it this way. Listen to this. The story, the story is about Jesus' resurrection beginning a new creation right here in the midst of this one. And you are a part of that. Now, that's some big stuff. That's some like heavy, like super theological, kind of crazy, like there's some really deep stuff going on there. So what in the world does it mean for you and what does it mean for me? Here's a couple things that I want to think about how this means for us. We have to stop living like people of last week. We are people of the new week. 
We aren't people of what was. We are people of what is becoming. So Christ, when he died, when he was resurrected, God says through creation is taking place right here, right now, in the midst of this one. We see the crappy way that the old week was. We see the life that could be. When we think about the sunset that we see, the hug that we get, the baby that is smiling at us. When we see people bringing clean water around our world, when we see people caring homeless in our community, we see people beside each other in times that are tough because they're family. Not because they share blood, but because they're family. Because they're a part of who we are. Because they share Christ. There is a new creation happening. So, we need to stop living back here. We have to stop living in this place of thinking of things old and, and back where it was. We have to start thinking about, I am, it's, I am a part of something new. And then we need to think about that. How am I living that reality out? In what way am I living out the reality of a new creation in this world? I'm not talking about just language. I'm asking you to imagine something so radical and crazy. I want you to actually imagine you live in the midst of a new creation in the midst of this one. You are a part of something amazing and incredible that you have been invited to take part in. When you pray for the kingdom of God to come into this world, it is an invitation for you to be a part of that. So he says, the new creation has come. Why in the world would we who believe that we are a part of new creation, why would our lives look boring? Why would our lives be filled with any kind of hate? Why, why would our lives not look like there is change and something incredible happening? Why would people not look at us and go, okay, I don't know what it is, but you're living different. There is something going on with how you think about things and look at people and the way that you're involved. In I, I don't understand it. It's weird. It's because I ain't living last week, man. Something has changed. I'm living in a new creation. People are looking at you like you're crazy, right? What? What an opportunity to explain. God is doing something in the midst of this world, and I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be a part of the old. I want to be part of the new. Can you imagine what would happen? What would happen if people who believe in Jesus Saul, oh, these are the signs that he revealed his glory, who he is. And he didn't just stop there. He wanted people to believe in what he was about and what he was doing. And then he says, I'm going to show you the ultimate picture. He has resurrected new life, different life, brand new life. What I love about what God does there. He doesn't look at us and he's not like, why well, do that for Jesus? Because that's Jesus. 
you know, and, and, and I get that you're just on this thing spinning around, and you can just kind of look at the story and hear about it. But he says, no, 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 that's not enough. You are the center of the story. You are a part of the story. He says, you are the new creation. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. That's crazy. That's incredible. God values you. He values me enough to say, I want to dwell in your life. I want to be a part of your life. And I want you to experience something brand new. Something different. And that's the promise that he's given us in this passage. Let's do that again. Let's read this out loud one more time as we close this morning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Let's pray. Thank you that as we That God, there is still mystery. That there is still subtlety. That there is beauty. God, help us to not miss this truly unbelievable promise. This, this almost unbelievable reality. That God, through us, through Christ living in us, there is something new taking place. And God, help us not just to, to see it, but God, help us to reflect it. And help us as we look out into this world, God, to begin to ask ourselves questions. How am I living as if there is a new creation literally bursting from me? And God, help us as we do that to see that our lives are meant to live for you, to change this world, and to experience a fullness and wholeness we could only begin to imagine. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.